0: church member here. Um, I'm going old school, so there's no slides up here, um, so you're going to have to listen intently. It might also help to uh, grab your um, Bible app out and follow along on your on your Bible app, or go out into the forum and get the Bible. It'd be great for you to be reading the Word as you're um, trying to listen to me. I'll give you a minute to do that. While they're doing that, I might just pray, Father God, we give you thanks for your precious word. Uh, we thank you that you've given it to us uh, to know about you uh, and to uh, yeah to learn about uh, how much you love us and how you've rescued us. Please give us the ears to hear this morning and the courage to obey it. Amen okay. A science professor begins his school year with a lecture to the students. Let me explain the problem that science has with religion. The atheist professor of philosophy pauses before his class and asks one of his new students to stand. You're a Christian, aren't you, son? Yes, sir, the student says. So you believe in God? Absolutely. Is God good? Sure, God's good. Is God all-powerful? Can God do anything? Yes. Are you good or evil? The Bible says I'm evil. The professor grins knowingly. Aha, the Bible. He considers for a moment. Here's one for you. Let's say there's a sick person over here and you can cure him. You can do it. Would you help him? Would you try? Yes, sir, I I would. So you're good. I, I wouldn't say that. But why not say that? You'd help a sick and maimed person if you could. Most of us would would if we could, but God doesn't. The student does not answer. So the professor continues. He doesn't, does he? My brother was a Christian who died of cancer, even though he prayed to Jesus to heal him. How is Jesus good? Hmm, can you answer that one? The student remains silent. No, you can't, can you, the professor says. He takes a sip of water from a glass on his desk to give the students time to relax. Let's start again, young fella. Is God good? Uh, yes, the student says. Is Satan good? The student doesn't hesitate on this one. No. Then where does Satan come from? The student falters. From God, that's right. God made Satan, didn't he? Tell me, son, is there evil in this world? Yes, sir. Evil's everywhere, isn't it? And God did make everything, correct? Yes. So who created evil? The professor continued, if God created everything, then God created evil. Since evil exists, and according to the principle that our works define who we are, then God is evil. Again, the student has no answer. Is there sickness, immorality, hatred, ugliness, all these terrible things? Do they exist in this world? The student squirms on his feet. Y- yes. So who created them? The student does not answer again, so the professor repeats his question. Who, who created them? There is still no answer. Suddenly the lecturer breaks away to pace in front of the classroom. The class is mesmerised. Tell me. He continues on to another student. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, son? The student's voice betrays him and cracks. Yes, professor, I do. The old man stops pacing. Science says you have five senses you use to identify and observe the world around you. Have you seen Jesus? No, sir, I've never seen him. Then tell me if you've heard your Jesus. No, sir, I have not. Have you ever felt your Jesus, tasted your Jesus or smelt your Jesus? Have you ever had a sensory perception of Jesus Christ or or for that matter God? No, sir, I'm afraid I haven't. Yet, you still believe in him? Yes. According to the rules of empirical, testable, demonstrable protocol, science says your God doesn't exist. What do you say about that, son? Nothing, the student replies. I only have my faith. Yes, faith, the professor repeats. And that is the problem science has with God. There is no evidence, only faith. The student looks around the room. Is there anyone in the class who has ever seen the professor's brain? the class breaks out into laughter. Is there anyone who has ever heard the professor's brain, felt the professor's brain, touched or smelt the professor's brain? No one appears to have done so. So according to the established rules of empirical, testable, demonstrable protocol, science says you have no brain, with all due respect, sir. So if science says you have no brain, how can we trust your lectures, sir? Finally, after what seems an eternity, the old man answers, I guess you'll have to take them on faith. Now the room is silent. The professor just stares at the student, his face unreadable. The professor sat down. Wouldn't it be nice to be that quick on your feet? That's actually the abridged version of that uh, story. If you'd like the full version, I can pass it on to you. It's long enough though, isn't it? Um, The professor probably has a most impressive education with many qualifications But his education fails him when it comes to faith. If you fall asleep or tune out um, during the, the sermon, my two big ideas for the passage are this. Number one, spiritual blindness isn't cured by education. It's cured by God's mercy and our faith. And the second is, blind faith is the best kind. Spiritual blindness isn't cured by education. It's cured by God's mercy and our faith. And blind faith is the best kind. So the sermon today is a one-off January holiday special. Um, After the holidays, Dan will continue um, our series on Matthew. But for today, we are looking at this encounter Jesus has with the blind man. So to help place this passage in the context of Luke, here's a bit of background. Uh, Jesus, along with the disciples, has been taking his ministry throughout Galilee, Judea and Perea. He predicts his death in front of the disciples for the third time, which is on the eve of his ultimate betrayal trial, crucifixion and resurrection. Chapter 18 is just before Jesus' trial, entry into Jerusalem and his betrayal by Judas. We're going to look at four main areas, so it's spiritual blindness, physical blindness, blind faith and God's mercy. This section of Luke we are looking at is split into two main sections. The first bit is the bit that concerns spirit, the spiritual blindness of the disciples and the second is uh, Jesus giving sight to a blind beggar. So, the first area is spiritual blindness. So, Jesus predicts his, his, uh, his death for the third frustrating time and the disciples are still suffering from spiritual blindness. They just don't get it. We see in verse 34, says, The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. The disciples had the best education on Jesus that you could ever have. They saw every miracle, heard every parable, And could ask Jesus any of the questions that bothered them. They even had their knowledge of what would happen to the Christ from their Jewish heritage and the knowledge of the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus referred to. As we heard earlier from Isaiah 53, the prophecy concerning the Christ is very clear. It depicts the physical and emotional suffering he must endure before he is glorified. Because of its clarity, it has often been referred to as the fifth gospel. The disciples only understood half of Jesus' mission. The bit about the glory and the rest was hidden from them. Despite being told three times about Jesus' suffering and death, they only wanted to know about the strong, earthly, conquering king and the potential earthly benefits that that had. In a similar situation in Matthew's Gospel, after predicting his suffering and death in chapter 16, Jesus is rebuked by Peter, and then Jesus has this response... Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You and I could only dream of seeing, hearing and experiencing what the disciples did of Jesus. It just goes to show that the best education in the world can't cure spiritual blindness. It requires mercy and faith. Josh McDowell, in his book, Answers to Tough Questions, says, People refuse to believe that which they don't want to believe in spite of evidence. When explorers first went to Australia, they found a mammal which laid eggs, spent some time in water, some on land, had a broad, flat tail, webbed feet, and a bill similar to a duck. Upon their return to England, they told the populace of this, and they said, i uh, sorry, and, and all felt that it was a hoax. They returned to Australia and found a pelt from this, anim- this animal and took it back to England but the people still felt it was a hoax in spite of the evidence they disbelieved because they didn't want to believe sometimes the best evidence or education doesn't matter the disciples didn't want to believe that their leader needed to suffer and die to reach glory their blindness wasn't going to be healed until God had mercy on them we'll now move to spiritual so to physical blindness so, the passage then moves from the spiritual blindness of the disciples to the physical blindness of the beggar. In contrast to the disciples, this blind beggar has, had not, has not had the luxury of a first hand tutelage from Jesus. In fact, he has, he has not and cannot physically see Jesus. He has only ever heard Jesus. So, he has he, also never heard Jesus, only heard of him. Yet, what he has heard about Jesus, he has believed. With only a basic knowledge of Jesus, he believes that he can heal his blindness, and he also believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He demonstrates this by calling out to Jesus as the son of David, alluding to Jesus' lineage to King David, who the Messiah was to be a direct descendant of. It would be fair to assume that the blind beggar would not have had an amazing education, but what he did have was an amazing faith, blind faith. When a man named uh, Donna Hudson Taylor went to China, he made the voyage on a sailing vessel. As it neared the channel between the southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, the missionary heard an urgent knock on his stateroom door. He opened it and there stood the captain of the ship. ''Mr Taylor,'' he said, ''we have no wind. ''We are drifting toward an island where the people are heathen ''and I fear they are cannibals.'' ''What can I do?'' asked Taylor. ''I understand that you believe in God.'' I want you to pray for wind. All right, Captain, I will, but you must set the sail. Why, that's ridiculous. There's not even the slightest breeze. Besides, the sailors will think I'm crazy. Finally, because of Taylor's insistence, he agreed. Forty-five minutes later, he, he later returned and found the missionary still on his knees. You can stop praying now, said the captain. We've got more wind than we know what to do with. Our blind beggar didn't care that people thought he was crazy. He had an unashamed faith in Jesus. If you look at verse 38, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus couldn't ignore such faith, so he stops. This faith is what is defined as faith in the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 11, which says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. The blind beggar's lifelong hope would have been to receive sight. This was obviously impossible by by means of medical practices of the day. His only hope of seeing was through Jesus, and believing what he has heard he can do. The term blind faith is usually used in a negative way, and describes faith with no real basis. But in this instance, blind faith is genuine faith because he believed without seeing. Most of the miracles that Jesus performed that we know of involving healing, Jesus healed that person because he had mercy on their situation and in response to genuine faith. Jesus' encounter with the blind beggar is no different. So to summarise, what we have seen so far is highly educated disciples being spiritually blind, an uneducated blind man who has spiritual sight. With little education, the blind man has genuine faith in Jesus and Jesus has has mercy and heals his blindness in response to his faith. So at the start I said there was a big idea of two things. Spiritual blindness isn't cured by education, it's cured by God's mercy in our faith and blind faith is the best kind. Let's now have a look at our blindness and faith. So the first thing is, um, let's not forget the fact that we were blind, or are blind. For 51 years, Bob Edens was blind. He couldn't see a thing. His world was a a black hole of sounds and smells. He felt his way through five decades of darkness, and then he could see. A skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation, and for the first time, Bob Edens had sight. He found it overwhelming. I never would have dreamt that yellow is so yellow. I don't have the words. I'm amazed by yellow. But red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. I can see the shape of the moon, and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky leaving a vapor trail. And of course, sunrises and sunsets. And at night, I look at the stars in the sky and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. As Christians, we should never forget that our spiritual sight has been granted to us by God, by his mercy and grace. It's an amazing gift to be able to see Jesus for who he really is. Bob Edens was amazed to see all the colours in in our world that we take for granted. Let's not take God's mercy to us for granted. When was the last time you thanked him for curing your spiritual blindness? We also need to remember that no matter how many times we tell people the message of Jesus or how many angles we can put on it, it's not up to us to grant them their spiritual sight. It's up to God. The second thing is, what's holding you back? What more do you need? The African impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet, And cover a distance of greater than 30 feet. Yet these magnificent creatures can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo with a three-foot wall. The animals will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will fall. Because we can't physically see Jesus, we have to rely on evidence. Even though the evidence is credible and substantial, sometimes this isn't enough. My cousin Angus spent most of his life and his youth and adult life trying to, to get enough evidence to prove that Jesus was who he said he claimed to be. Nothing seemed to satisfy him. He got sidetracked with all sorts of conspiracy theories and heresies, much like what is covered in the movie The Da Vinci Code, you know, about Jesus being married to Mary Magdalene, having kids, and all that. He must have looked at every sceptic website on the internet, which was probably part of the problem. God obviously had mercy on him because he eventually came to realise that he could keep gathering evidence till his deathbed without actually making a commitment. Someone politely told him that he needed to step out in faith, and he did. Do Do you need to take that step of faith? Or are you someone who already has, but is struggling to keep stepping out in faith when it comes to sharing your faith with money, with what to do with your life? Remember, God can see over the fence. Put it in his hands and take the leap. Don't stay in the enclosure just because you can't see the other side. If you can't see, don't wait until it's too late. The captain of the Titanic refused to believe the ship was in trouble till water was ankle deep in the mail room. Only then was it apparent the multi-layered hull had been pierced and the unsinkable ship was going to sink. Ships that could have arrived before the great ocean liner went down weren't summoned until it was too late. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, what's stopping you? If you refuse to believe, remember, like the Titanic, there is only a limited time to get help. Maybe today is the day to ask for God's mercy. And finally, don't, let's not limit God. Let's have blind faith. Charles F. Kettering said, said this When I was a research head of General Motors and wanted to solve a problem, I'd place a table outside the meeting room with a sign, Leave slide rules here. If I didn't do that, I'd find someone reaching for his slide rule, then he'd be on his feet saying, Boss, you can't do that. We shouldn't be constrained by what we are used to or the way we think things should work. God doesn't live in a box or have measures and limitations. But we seem to keep putting them on him. Don't get out don't get your slide rule to see if it's going to work. Have faith. God wants us to be Christians of blind faith, like the beggar, a belief that can accomplish the impossible and that miracles can and do happen. Let's pray with faith, live with faith, and when the time comes, depart with faith. And I'm not suggesting that you don't investigate the truths about the Bible or get evidence to the basis of your faith. What I am saying is what I'll leave with you with Jesus' words: "Blessed are those blessed are those who have n- not seen yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." Let me pray, Father God. Thank you that you are sovereign and that you have um, all things covered. We pray, Father, that um, you would help us to uh, overcome any doubts and, and scepticism that we have about you or following you. We pray that, that we, would, we, would, uh, we would step out in faith and trust you, put our lives in your hands for your glory. Amen.